On this week's episode of the podcast, I tell Drew about one of the most famous owners of all time and some of the truly globally infamous hijinks that he got himself into. Oh gosh, it sounds oh, like yeah. a lot. It's uh, it's going to be a bunch. You know what? It might even be two episodes a bunch. Oh! So why don't you buckle up, because this is Deadball Brothers. Welcome to Deadball Brothers, a weekly, mostly podcast about soccer and history with a healthy, healthy dose of stupidity, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and brought to you by your two favorite weirdo soccer brothers, me and myself, everybody's favorite freelance soccer content maker, Adam Whitaker Snavely, joined as always by my real-life brother. Drew Snavely, uh, suffering and sometimes celebratory Manchester United fan. Sometimes suffering, sometimes celebratory. How are you feeling right now? It's the international break. It's hard to tell. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I, I, we were kind of chatting a little bit before we started recording this, but haven't really been following the international break that much. Man. Uh, I've just been kind of letting it, it do its thing. Um, I'm also <laughs> like kind of in the midst of like... You know, I'm just letting uh, the international break do its thing. It's steady yeah. vibe in, you know. I don't know. I feel like I've been a little bit busier the last like week and a half or so, and so yeah, you know, there's there is a particular reason why it's been a little a little while since you've heard from us. Um, yeah, and that is at least partially because uh, Drew went out and got himself a new job. So hey, you know, they said the job market was bad, but I'm Look blessed now. I'm I'm not blessed. I'm lucky. <laughs> lucky and blessed. I mean, lucky I guess if and you're, blessed. If you're lucky, you're also blessed. That just makes sense. Yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. So, but Drew, if you haven't been paying attention to the international break, that means you haven't. You've missed the glory of North Macedonia beating oh. Germany. What you've you've missed? Uh, Turkey absolutely stomping out the Netherlands and Erling Haaland's Norway. Uh, wow. At the beginning of UEFA World Cup qualifiers, Turkey okay. looking crazy right now. Huh. Looking like a, a reincarnation of the 2008 Turkey team. That Are just there even – is anybody – That would hit the ball so hard, like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Is anybody like notable on the Turkey team? Yilmaz. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, Yilmaz is uh, – he, he scored a, a hattie against the Netherlands – Dang. Um and he's kind of been one of the the main the main suspects for them. Um I didn't I didn't actually catch their game against Norway. I just uh kept up on like updates and saw that they were just kind of crushing them. So That's uh, crazy. I can I can I give, guess I've missed out on a lot. A, a quick peek see to like some of the lineups and see what they're doing. I see I, I feel like I knew a lot of the Turkish players like Two or three years ago, and now I'm I'm not as far up on their team and who's playing mm. for them. Yeah, because yeah, like yeah. that makes sense. Because like Arda Turan is isn't like a a big guy yeah. anymore. Nuri yeah. Shaheen isn't really like a big guy for them anymore. Yeah, that that sort of thing. So, uh, I feel like they they kind of have like a a lineup that flies a little bit under the radar. But yeah, they're they're kind of crushing it right now at the beginning of World Cup qualifier. You know who's not crushing it? Frank De Boer. <laughs> Who could have seen that coming? If only there was some way for us to know (laughs) that Frank DeBoer 
might yeah. not be successful. <laughs> yeah, it's not like he has like a lengthy track record of like failure as a head coach. Yeah, if only there like wasn't that. so much girth in his loss record. <laughs> we could just find a, out. Just a girthy, girthy loss record. You know, uh, the U.S. of A, uh, the one that's not in Olympic qualifying. <laughs> yeah. You know what? They stamped out two wins, and that's mighty fine and okay with me. And we don't have to yeah. talk about the Olympics whatsoever. Yeah, I, I did. I mean, I wasn't completely under a rock for the last week and a half, so I did catch the news that the Baby Nats did not qualify for an Olympic Games once again. Truly unfortunate. Um, the the I should say the men's baby gnats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I also did see that the the senior team did string out a couple wins. They did goals from uh, Pulisic and Giorena. You love to see those. Yep, Serginho does boys. Have an absolute. Oh yeah, against Jamaica. yeah. I did see that one. Sebastian Legette with a brace. Yeah. Sebastian yeah, Legette's just going to be that guy. He's been popping he, off. He's going to be Pops that guy. Pops off for the national team. Yeah, dude. He's going to be that guy that's just going to be in for the next for the rest of this World Cup cycle, maybe the yeah. next one. Maybe. As just as just that guy that's kind of like the forgotten man in midfield and then he's going to come in randomly into games as a sub and sometimes start as like a depth pick uh and and just play really really well. I feel like that's just that's just going to be his lot. It's kind of like how how Benny Failhaber was before he went to England. Uh yeah. Yeah. As this that that role where he just comes in and immediately everybody's like, oh, who's this guy? Yeah. Benny Failhaber. Benny Failhaber in like 2009 in like the Confederation Cup, when he mm-hmm. would just come in and all of a sudden it was like, oh wait, this guy can pass. Oh, this guy. Okay. <laughs> all right, I see you. Yeah, the and then he had the uh, I mean the famous one was the I think the gold cup in two thousand seven. 2006, 2007, he had a crazy volley against Mexico in the final. That was like the game winner. I don't. That was a, I don't that was a little that bit. It was a little bit before your time. Yeah, I was but say, I could, I could, for, I could foresee Sebastian Legette filling that that kind of. We need we need a, a super creative sub role kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I I haven't been like completely away from the culture of soccer last week and a half i did start and finish ted lasso finally <laughs> hey hey look at this guy and honestly it was amazing yeah. i can't i can't recommend it highly enough reviews was, are in reviews the reviews are, are in and ted lasso rocks yeah and that's all you need to know and they're not paying me to say that theodore lasso all theodore lasso <laughs> that's and that's Big that fan. on that Big fan. Big, big fan. All right. Oh, man. Drew, we've kept the people waiting long enough. Yeah, we've kept, yeah. We've kept them waiting long enough for this episode. We've kept them waiting long enough the last couple of weeks. It's Why don't true. we talk about some history? Why Let's don't we do get it. into it? Yeah. If I asked you to name the most famous Italian clubs, who are you picking? Uh, Juventus, Inter, uh, AC Milan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, usually there's like, more. Usually there's, uh, there's one ish more. Roma. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Usually those are those are the four that I feel yeah. like a lot of people get. Yeah. I, I don't know how I'm not I didn't say it because I'm not like confident in the pronunciation, but like Fiorentina. 
Fiorentina. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, 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 they're a club, certainly. Yeah. They're not yeah. very good at anymore. Like mid-table. But they used to be good. They used to be pretty good. And you got to be able to, like, the, just, like, the names you kind of, like, recognize. But maybe you're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess now Napoli is is up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Napoli's definitely up there now. Napoli's up there. Lazio. Lazio too. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like it's fair, especially especially if you're saying like I'm not super familiar with Serie A, Juventus, the the Milan clubs, AC Milan yes. and Inter Milan and Roma. That's yeah. a pretty that's a pretty standard yeah. four definitely. that people could shout out. Well, you are correct in that you have successfully named one of the clubs we're talking about. Okay. We're talking about AC Milan. Oh, heck we're talking yeah. about the black and the red. We haven't talked about Syria uh, that much on this podcast, and I'm going to change all that. We we haven't a, talked about them a ton. But we have talked. Um, I we there have been some stories. We we did a very notable Lazio story early in our existence, and um, we also did. Um, uh, we did Italian national team too. We did an Italian national the, team because Italy was the the coin flip game, right? Yes, Italy was the coin flip yeah. game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was one other one I can't think of off the top of my head, but I know I did another story in Italy. I just can't remember. Well, we're going back. We're going back to the well. Yeah, yeah, once yeah, again. yeah. And we're talking about AC Milan. When you when I say AC Milan, what do you what do you kind of think about? What is what is uh what's your take on AC Milan? Zlatan. Zlatan. Um, what a guy. Uh, Ronaldinho passes prime. Ooh, yeah. Uh, but still good. But still good for a couple of years, for sure. Kaká. Man, that brief, like, three-year period where Kaká was the best midfielder in the world. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was amazing. True that. Uh, Paolo uh, Maldini. I was going to say Andrea Pirlo. Mm-hmm. But he yep. Pirlo played for, like, all of the, Ever, all, all of the of giants. Pirlo, yeah. Pirlo was the uh, the mercenary, <laughs> and like everybody in Italy still loves him. I just yep. don't get it. <laughs> he, Pirlo is that that very very rare figure that was like I played for all the different big clubs and yeah. I can like do no wrong. Basically, yeah. Everybody still everybody still loves Pirlo. It's true. Hey, it it I, is true. I can't I can't front I can't fault the man. But yes, we are talking about AC Milan, which is a very old club makes sense and has been around for a long time. So it feels very wrong almost and incorrect to call them like a new money team because that just doesn't make any sense at all. No, it doesn't. But uh, I mean, I, and I, and I think also too, that's like when we were first getting into soccer, that was like the tail end of AC Milan's like European dominance. Well, I, I think like uh, just Italy's European dominance as well. Because mm-hmm. the Italian league was like insane in the yeah. early and mid two thousands, and in the nineties too. In, in, I, yeah, I feel like a lot of the the best teams in the world were frequently coming out of Serie A. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you kind of had that that I mean, like we said, Kaká on that ASM on those AC Milan teams. Even before that, you had a uh, Andrei Shevchenko in the oh yeah AC Milan before he went to Chelsea and just bombed yeah. out. Uh, Shevchenko was like everybody thought he was one of the best strikers in the world with AC Milan. Well, uh, I, yeah, I, I think it's also weird to say that AC Milan is like a, a new money team because 
a lot of times you associate new money teams with clubs that historically aren't successful and yes. they just kind of come out of nowhere, like mm-hmm. um, RB Leipzig. Um, whereas sure. like AC Milan was like, or even like a, a very successful history winning or, or trophies even, and stuff. Or even like a like a Chelsea, like kind of like Roman Abramovich kind of yeah situation. Yeah, well, it's like I'm, you, about to, I'm I'm about to shatter this picture. Just so yeah, you know. let's do I'm, it. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of put uh, call poppycock on this whole image of AC Milan as the 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 big historically successful club. They were founded in 1899, so super old. Yes. In the first 87 years of their existence, they won a grand total of 10 Serie A titles in addition to two European championships. That's not bad. That's pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely decent. But also 10 titles in almost 90 years isn't like dominant, you know? You're definitely not the best team, certainly. It's not it's not dominant, but I mean, I feel like that's a lot it's, of clubs. It's not bad. It's pretty good. But I yeah. would not I wouldn't call it like a superpower. I would say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, fine. It's it's so, not it's not like Barcelona or Real Madrid. Sure. Definitely not. Or even Juventus. Or Juventus, yeah. That was the first 87 years. Yes. In the subsequent 25 years, they won eight more Serie A titles and five more European championships. So we're talking almost a century where they have 10 Italian league titles and two European cups. Yeah. And then a, like a quarter of that time, you got eight more Italian titles and five more European championships. They really hit their stride, man. They peaked at mm. the right time. Mm, that's a pretty drastic <laughs> difference. So, uh, so, so, what do you think happened? Is is kind of the question there, and I I think that it's interesting because it's a story that's not really unlike the rapid rise of of modern football, the Chelseas, or even like the PSGs that we see today. This one, however, came with a lot more publicly open scandal, crime, politics, and much more of a spotlight placed on the owner than possibly any other owner in soccer history. It begins in Milan in 1936 with the birth of a boy to a man named Luigi and a woman named Rosa. The boy's name was Silvio. Silvio Silvio Berlusconi. Okay. Okay. A young Silvio Berlusconi was far from the business and political tycoon he would one day become when he was a teenager and then again as a young adult. In fact, he spent a decent amount of time, interestingly, as a bit of a struggling artist. Uh, he played bass in like jazz clubs and he also sang on cruise ships. And Gotta respect was, that. Yeah, he was super into performing, and and that oh, was man. that was his deal. I get so it. Italian. I get it, man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Just all um, into the performance. Yes, absolutely. But the emphasis there is on struggling because he couldn't find consistent income doing music. Uh, big surprise. I was going to say, not much has changed since then. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> and as his father was a banker, he soon decided to get into more of a standard business himself, starting 
with a massive success in heading up a construction project called Milano Due, which literally means Milan 2. <laughs> okay. Very literally named. Yeah, um, yeah, seriously. It's a small neighborhood slash city kind of place um, just outside of uh, the the metropolitan Milan area. Um, it's a residential community known for its walkways that allow people to access the entire 4,000 apartment neighborhood without ever having to cross a street which intersects with traffic. Oh, so wow. it became kind of known as a great place for like young families that yeah. had, had kids. Um, you have a ton of walkways uh, and just it's, it's kind of a safe spot for them. Um, and this construction project, which he helped like head up, basically he kind of started, uh, started and got the ball rolling, owned some construction companies and he, he went for it in that way. And it was a huge, huge success for him and it helped him build up a bit of a small fortune. Okay. Yeah. A bit of a small fortune, a bit of a small fortune. He wasn't, he wasn't (laughs) like a tycoon at this point, but, but he, he got some money and he immediately started to spend that money and use it in ways where he thought, you know what? I could probably make some more money out of this. Um, in turn, he started getting into media, first with a television channel, Tele Milano, and then with a much bigger giant media company called Fininvest, which is important. Remember Fininvest. 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 Um, Fininvest was kind of this big television conglomerate, which at the time shouldn't have existed because there was a bunch of anti-national media laws in place in Italy. Um, okay. Very kind of like anti-monopoly, anti-trust or trust laws, that sort of thing. Um, the countries have them. The United States technically does have them still. Um, basically, the long and the short of it is there shouldn't have been a, a media company that was all across the country that was kind of a, a completely large scope and that was kind of crushing all the competition that was not supposed to be able to exist. Um, and as it expanded and kept going further and further, uh, into a national and then into an international media company, it it made Berlusconi one of the most famous and wealthiest people in all of Italy. Basically his star and his fortune just kept growing and growing and growing because of this thing. Um, and importantly, Fininvest was this large collection of companies and not one specific company yeah. um, that was spread out around Italy, which for a while kept it out of trouble with the law, despite several investigations into the company and its holdings. Um, and even when they got to a point where they thought they were going to actually shut down Fininvest for anti-monopoly reasons. Yeah the laws began to shift and change in Italy and they basically paved the way for Fininvest to continue and to grow and prosper. And Silvio Berlusconi was smiling, was feeling great. Even if his company was probably very questionable according to the (laughs) law before they started changing the laws. And if there's one thing, if there's one thing you should know about Silvio Berlusconi, it's that he's not afraid of some shortcuts to get what he wants. I mean, isn't every major corporation ever? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's not, that's not to like defend his actions or the actions of any major company, but I think it's just assumed if you're 
if you're rich and you're the owner of a really successful company, you probably uh, did some unethical things along the way to get <laughs> you where you are. Probably killed some people. You prob- prob- maybe. Maybe metaphorically. Maybe literally. Who's to say? Sure, you definitely ruined some lives. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure. We'll get there, my friend. Oh, now, good. Despite some investigation, some investigators' qualms about how fast and total Berlusconi's rise to the top was, they could do little to stop him. And he even spawned an Italian word for his general attitude, the the persona and the thing, the air that he gave off. It was called Berlusconismo. I really Ooh. had to make the Italian hand. Yeah, I was going to say you had the Italian Berlusconismo, hands. which... <laughs> In the 80s, when they first kind of coined the term, it referred to his entrepreneurial ambition, his optimism. He was a super optimistic guy publicly, always. He was always smiling, and he was always optimistic. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. He was kind of like this King Midas figure in Italian business. And so, like many people have done since then, he decided to set yet another trend, getting into sports. Heck yeah. Obviously, of course. Now, soccer in general is a sport that has strong historic connections to workers' unions and clubs put together by communities and friends. I mean, there's, there's a reason we refer to European soccer teams as clubs rather than um, what American teams are, which is usually franchises. Um, They're founded, usually, a lot of these European teams, they were founded on completely different principles and methods of management. American sports teams, including MLS, but extending to the NFL and other sports leagues, are single entity structures, usually, where a league essentially leases out franchises to different owners, but everything is technically owned in one kind of central umbrella. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of, I, I did a little metaphor here. I said... Think of it kind of like McDonald's. (laughs) There's, you know, that in the town where you live, there are better McDonald's and there are worse McDonald's, even though everything is selling the same product. I know I have a terrible McDonald's right by my house. If I want to go to a better McDonald's that won't screw up my order, I will drive further away (laughs) and not go to the McDonald's on Memorial and I'll go to the McDonald's on Wards Road. Because the, the McDonald's on Memorial is frequently just awful, just just not not good. Hey, it's the uh, same thing with me and Chipotle. It's like if uh, I want a good bowl, I'm going to Old Forest, I'm not going sure. to Wards. Yeah, absolutely. See, see, so those are examples of franchises that technically they're under the same corporate structure and are serving even a bunch of the same products, but you know that there's differences between the different franchises and all that thing. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of the American sports structure. Now, soccer clubs outside of the United States are more like small businesses to extend kind of the restaurant metaphor that we that we've built going. Yeah, um, yeah. And the leagues they play in uh, and how they were built up were sort of kind of almost like agreed upon trade alliances of a bunch of small businesses, like how the football league started, it was a bunch of individual clubs that were their own entities that decided to join together. And start the football league. Yeah. It's only been a relatively recent phenomenon where the corporatization of soccer has occurred. 
where big clubs are owned less and less by the fans and more and more by huge money ownership groups. And the teams themselves feel less tied to their history in general in a lot of places. Um, But it's interesting because I think you can really draw a starting point for the beginning of the, the beginning of what people call modern football a lot of the time with Silvio Berlusconi. Okay. And him getting in to AC Milan because a lot of people point to this getting involved with AC Milan. Um, Even though they were certainly a big club and even before Silvio Berlusconi got in with AC Milan, there were clubs that used financial muscle to beat out smaller clubs before him. A lot of people point to kind of like this beginning of the modern, the modern football era trend of the the big money ownership um, and the corporatization of football with Berlusconi. To really hammer this point home, just look at how Berlusconi announced himself to AC Milan fans on July 8th, 1986. 10,000 fans gathered at Arena Civica Stadium, and after some opening festivities, the speakers in the stadium began playing Flight of the Valkyries by Richard Wagner. Yeah, that one. It's a famous song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the song played, several private helicopters flew above the stadium and began to land on the pitch in front of the supporters. The entire team stepped out of the helicopters, followed by the main event, Silvio Berlusconi himself, who walked up to a podium in front of the supporters and began to address the crowd. Um, It was just, it was bombastic. It was all the way out there. It was meant to leave an impression. Yeah. And it was also the polar opposite of the owner preceding Berlusconi, a guy named Giuseppe Farina, who was known locally as the farmer in, 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 in Milan. And that was not a good nickname. They were, they, Milan fans viewed Farina as like this kind of provincial guy. They, they thought that uh, Milan would never be good. Milan would never be good if, if he continued as, as the owner. In fact, a a time or two, because um, Berlusconi was born in Milan and, a time or two at games, Milan fans actually unfurled banners that pleaded with Berlusconi to buy the team. <laughs> and so he eventually did. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was funny. And they're like, please come and save please us. Please buy us. Yes. Um, because in the 80s, Milan were down bad. In fact, Milan were down catastrophic. Oh. They had been relegated to Serie B a couple of times in the 80s. And while they were back up in Serie A by the time that Berlusconi got there, they were not a very good team. They weren't seen, they weren't seen as a threat in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, but Berlusconi seemed like exactly the type of person to bring that team to the top. And everyone was pretty correct about that. Even if they didn't necessarily see just how far Berlusconi would go or just how many scandals he would leave in his wake. And we are back for the second half of the first half of the story, right, Adam? <laughs> Silvio Berlusconi. Is Berlusconi. Berlusconi. Uh, yep. 
I'm an idiot. Oh, no. You know, we had to get one in there for the fans. We really did. <laughs> that one's for the fans. That one's for you guys. <laughs> totally did that on purpose and yep, definitely not on accident. Yep. <laughs> and that is the story that we are sticking with, baby. Adam, you were kind of getting into, um, or you're kind of foreshadowing, I should say, um, some some dirty deeds that Silvio Berlusconi was getting into. Yep. Dirty deeds not done dirt cheap. Dirty deeds done with a whole lot of money. Uh, that's, because that's how the... That's how they're usually done, I think. The deeds, that's how the deeds are done. Yeah. Now, Berlusconi, upon taking over AC Milan, his first job was making Milan an attractive team, a team that stood out and was successful and one that wouldn't be associated with the Milan teams of earlier that same decade because in the early 80s, AC Milan was punished for a match-fixing scheme. Hey, Heck yeah. It's Gotta a different it. it's a different match fixing scheme than Juventus was later punished for. This is a yeah. completely different match fixing oh, yeah. scheme. I was gonna say because um, that was like early two thousands. Yeah, it just seems to happen so much in Italy. Um yes, AC Milan was punished for a match fixing scheme that saw them relegated to Serie B. And after winning promotion, they were relegated a second time and had to win promotion again. It was just a little yo-yo, down, up, down, up. A process which lost them a bunch of money and credibility and, in general, made them a bit of a laughing stock, especially to some of the other big Italian teams at the time, most notably Crosstown Rivals, Inter Milan, mm. and barely even Crosstown Rivals. Really, <laughs> same stadium rivals, Next, Inter yeah, Milan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Different than like the New York Jets and New York Giants, though, because like Jets and Giants share the same stadium, but there's not really a rivalry there. Yeah, because they play in different conferences, and they, yeah, they never really play each other ever. And it's they're the both teams are never good at the same time. So <laughs> it would be like if um, like Manchester City and Manchester United had to like share the state same stadium. Oh yeah, that would be that would be pretty nuts. That'd be bonkers. Um, I would actually love that. I think that would be awesome. <laughs> I don't know if you would like it as a Manchester United whoever, supporter. Whoever won the last match gets to like have their their uh, colors, their colors in the stadium <laughs> for however long it takes to like for the other team to win. <laughs> that'd be dope. That'd be that'd be dope. It'd be kind of funny. Now, so AC Milan, like I said before, down bad, down not good. Um, Berlusconi decided that the best way to make Milan a more attractive side, a side that would be something that fans wanted to watch, something that would get people into the stadium and also make them a more attractive international brand was to go all out and attack, which wasn't really a big like Italian thing at the time. Um, oh, yeah, the, huge into defending. Italian, the Italian teams were, were known as being very, very sound positionally and, and very good defensively. Um, he wanted to a big, big attacking team and and a threat on the field. And so he decided he was going to go about that, first of all, by hiring a manager from Serie B, whose name was Arrigo Saki. Um, And he was a former shoe salesman and someone who never played professional soccer at all. Again, this move was not very popular in Italy. They thought, this guy is stupid. What is he doing buying a dumb old shoe salesman? It's, it's like uh, Ted Lasso. 
it's a like little Richmond, bit. It's like AFC Richmond hiring Ted Lasso. <laughs> a li- but, yeah, except he. I mean, I mean, yeah. I guess he. I mean, he was a coach in like Serie B, but uh, Ted Lasso is a little bit of a, an anomaly. But but yeah, I can see. I can see the the distinction drawn between head, the head coach of Wichita State football <laughs> Wichita team, State. American football team. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the move was met with ridicule, but at his unveiling, uh, Saki hit back at the criticism, saying the immortal quote, uh, I never realized that in order to become a jockey, you had to be a horse first. Um, <laughs> got him. I like that quote. Yeah, no, it was, it was like the first thing he said yeah. <laughs> when he, when he became AC Milan coach. Berlusconi followed that signing up by making several player signings, among them a very high-profile Dutch trio, Ruud Gullit, Marco van Basten, and Frank Rijkaard. Yeah. Pretty decent. Yeah. I was going to say, it's a, that's all right. It's mm-hmm. some shrewd business. They also got a Roma midfielder by the name of Carlo Ancelotti. Okay. Go nuts. Carlo, man. The eyebrow himself. <laughs> oh, man. And they up mix the that in. <laughs> up, up the toffees. <laughs> <laughs> they mix that in. Shouts out the hummies. Uh, <laughs> so cute. He's so cute. Um, they Those players, they got to mix in with the squad members that they already had, which did include Franco Baresi and a young Paolo Maldini because Paolo Maldini played forever. Um, uh, yes, he did. <laughs> he played for so, so long. long. I can't believe how long he played. <laughs> um, Berlusconi's gamble paid off pretty much instantly, much like the rest of his life. When AC Milan shocked Serie A and won the Scudetto in Saki's first season at the helm, wow. they ran like a 4-4-2 full field press every game. And they crushed the league. Oh, <laughs> like nobody it. was ready for it. Yeah. And and they won. They won the league. It was the first time that Milan had lifted the trophy in nearly a decade. They followed that up by winning back-to-back European championships, first against Stal Bucharest, then against Benfica. Okay. In a couple of seasons of Berlusconi's ownership, Milan had gone from a struggling club to the top of Europe. Uh, And they were actually the last team to repeat as European champions until Real Madrid did it in like 2017. Dang. It was, it was, it was like, it was that long between, between like the the time. So it was like, I think that was 1988, 1989 or 1989, 1990. I'm not sure which, which seasons exactly it was, but yeah, it was the end of the eighties. Um, so yeah, just like immediately upon him coming in, making some signing, splashing some cash, AC Milan suddenly on top, just just on top of the world. It's as easy as that. It's all you have to do. I don't easy, know what the easy, big deal easy. is. Yeah, duh. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was also in the European Championship that Berlusconi left another enduring mark. Before these kind of back-to-back AC Milan championships and and AC and uh, Berlusconi took over AC Milan, the European Cup, which was known at the time, um, had been one long knockout competition throughout its history. Okay. Um, so there was no group stages. There was just you qualified in whatever way you qualified by winning your league or, or whatever, and then you just went into a, a like a March Madness bracket, basically. 
Like, yeah. You just you just went and played. Um, and if you were out in the first round, you were out in the first round. Like if you if you lost your first game or, or your your first two games, like that was done. That was it. Tough luck. Um, Berlusconi, ever the businessman, realized how important for international brand recognition purposes the European Cup was and realized how bad it would be if AC Milan were to get knocked out super early in general. Yeah. And so he suggested and submitted a proposal to UEFA for revisal of the competition that would make the affair play out over the course of a full season using a group stage and qualifying rounds as opposed to one big long knockout round tournament. So the foundations of the modern champions league were laid thanks to Silvio Berlusconi wanting AC Milan to be assured a spot in Europe for a much longer period of time than if they were to possibly lose their first game. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Everything was coming up roses for Berlusconi, for AC Milan, everyone. But you know, we had to get to a butt. Yeah, yeah. There's always a there's always a wrench that gets thrown in plans. Everything, everything's there's always been a bump positive. in the road. There's always everything's been too happy so far. There was trouble brewing away from the pitch. Italian prosecutors decided to investigate several Italian political parties at the time and their money dealings under suspicion of corruption. A politician? Corrupt? <laughs> What? Say it ain't so. <laughs> oh, no, Drew. Oh, guess what they found? A ton of corruption. <laughs> uh, in fact, they found that nearly every political party in Italy was engaged in corruption at some level. And this was especially true for a guy named Bettino Craxi. He was at the in the 80s, mostly, and the early 90s. He was the leader of Italy's Socialist Party, and for a time in the late 80s, he was also the Prime Minister of Italy. Now, the Socialist Party in Italy was more of a centrist party, um, and it was allied and making forming a government with a bunch of other Italian political parties because in that period of time of politics, it was commonplace for most of the centrist parties in Italy, no matter who was winning out and getting like the prime minister spot or whatever, it was still commonplace for most of those parties to ally themselves with one another to keep the left-wing communist party, which was, I think, actually the biggest party in Italy. Oh, wow. um, Just like biggest single parties, but yeah. it's European politics, so there's like a ton of parties. There's yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know how many parties there were, but there's just a bunch. Like there's a lot to keep track 37 of. 37 parties. Yeah, yeah. Probably um, more than that. The Communist Party was actually, I think, the biggest party in Italy, but all the other parties basically would always form alliances to keep them out of power, which is generally a theme for a lot of political situations in the world at that time. <laughs> um, Craxi, the guy who was the head of the socialists, he left his prime minister spot in 1987, but it was in 1992. I was a grand, a ripe one years old. In that year, a socialist MP named Mario Chiesa accepted a bribe of 7 million Italian lira, which was the currency that Italy used at the time. Unfortunately for Chiesa and basically everyone else, 
he was given the bribe by an undercover cop. Uh, and police <laughs> swarmed as soon as he accepted the money. Oh, man. Basically, police suck. <laughs> like, handed the envelope. He put his hand on the envelope, and it was donezo. It was raps, police in there. They get him. Talk about a sting operation. That is a sting. That is the the textbook sting operation. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Chiesa, who was a part of Craxy's party, he wanted protection from Craxy. He wanted Craxy to do something, basically. Um, And Craxy decided that the best thing that he could do, his best strategy for handling this, was basically to make Chiesa a big scapegoat and not respond or help him at all and basically single him out and say, this is what's wrong with politics in Italy. You try to drag down the best party in Italy, the, the most morally righteous party in Italy. And with, with your, with your accepting of bribes, with your corruption, you try to drag us down and we're going to make an example of you. You are out to dry. We are not helping you at all. Yeah. That's what Craxy basically said and, yeah. and and publicly and he said this publicly things about uh, Chiesa so so Chiesa knew he, he knew no help was coming from Craxy um so Chiesa did what was probably the smartest thing that he could do which was he spilled the beans on literally every single politician that he knew was was corrupt and yeah. just cooperated a hundred percent with every single thing to get as lenient a sentence as he possibly could and turns out that dude knew a ton. He knew <laughs> a lot of stuff. Uh, it was bad for, it, it, I mean, in general, if you were a politician in Italy at the time, um, it was kind of like an Armageddon moment type of yeah. thing. He, Chiesa went and dropped a bomb. Um, Jeez. Everybody seemed like they were swept up in the scandal that was involved in politics in Italy. And even a bunch of people that weren't really involved in politics in Italy, including one construction entrepreneur slash television magnate slash AC Milan owner. Heck yeah. <laughs> now you remember, you remember way back when, when I told you that Fininvest was going to be important and you yeah. should remember that. I was really glad that you didn't um, make me guess what the name of the thing that you said was yeah. really important because well, that's I would have said sweater vest. <laughs> yeah. You remember sweater vest? The sweater vest. Yeah. The Italian television, <laughs> the Italian te- television company that just aired lots of comfortable wares for men. Um, <laughs> no, Fininvest, important. The media company that Berlusconi started and largely built his fortune off of. You remember when I said that they were being investigated? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then they like, were, and then everything just kind of disappeared. Yep, a little bit. The laws changed. Yes, they did. And everything was all good. Mm-hmm. In the hood. It, for a while. For a little bit, at least. <laughs> yeah, for, for a little bit. They were being investigated because anti-monopoly law in Italy held that there could be no national media companies at the time. The law was changed shortly after the investigation into Fininvest began, paving the way for the company to take over the market. Who was in power at the time that that occurred? Bettino Craxi and the Socialists. Were the ones that were in power. It turns out Berlusconi and Craxi were good friends. And it also turns out that good friends sometimes pay each other money, like a lot of money. <laughs> it was revealed several years after the fact 
that Berlusconi sent around 21 billion Italian lira, which was roughly the equivalent of $17 million. It's a lot. Um, it's, it's a lot of money. To offshore bank accounts owned and controlled by Craxi. And Craxi, in turn, issued an order changing the laws on media and monopolies, just as judges in several Italian cities were trying to shut down Fininvest. And that's what we call a little bit of textbook corruption, my friends. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't get more uh, clear than that. That is, It is clear cut. It is, <laughs> it is out there. Craxi's career was essentially over. Um, even though that he, he did manage to avoid jail time, uh, he apparently gave a kind of stunning emotional testimony yeah. at his trial. And he eventually... Uh, he eventually got out of jail time for the most part. Um, but all you got to do is cry a little bit. When Apparently when he left the courthouse, there was a bunch of Italian crowds outside of the courthouse that threw coins at him uh, and began to jump up and down and chant, don't jump if you're a socialist, um, <laughs> which is actually like a soccer chant from one of the teams that they were, uh, they were like kind of copying just, just for watching the downfall of a politician. <laughs> Uh, Italians, man. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> Gotta love Italian. <laughs> Craxi's career was essentially oh, over. <laughs> and yeah. Berlusconi was next to be caught up in the web. For a man who could seem to do no wrong, everything was falling to pieces. The optimist, Berlusconi, however, had an idea. A plan to escape corruption and racketeering charges that is so bold and absolutely stupid on its face that I almost can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. (laughs) He decided he was going to run for prime minister. He was going to start his own political party and run for prime minister. Because I guess if you hold the most powerful position in a country, it's much harder to put you in jail. I was going to say, isn't that kind of what Donald Trump did? I know. As we literally have just seen in our country, if you hold the most powerful position in the country, it's somehow much, much harder to put you in jail. (sighs) Everything else that Berlusconi did seemed to go right for him, even if he broke the law to get his way a lot of the time. So I guess why not run for prime minister? And it turned out that was an incredibly good question that Silvio could think of no good negative response to. So he did. And then he won. Thank you so much for listening to this first part of our little two-part episode on Silvio Berlusconi. And as always, for supporting Deadball Brothers. If you are interested in seeing and hearing more from us, you can follow our social media accounts. We are at DeadballPod pretty much everywhere. We're on Facebook, Twitter, we're on Instagram. And we also have an email, deadballpod at gmail.com. If you're interested in submitting story ideas to us, in correcting us, in making fun of us in any way, we really appreciate and support all of those things. And if you are interested in supporting the podcast in any other ways, the most important thing that you could do is leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a ton. It helps more people see the podcast. And the more people see the podcast, the more things we get to do. So 
As always, if you could leave us a rating and review, that would be super, super awesome. We also have some merch that if you are interested in getting, we will leave the link to that in the description below. But until next time, my name is Adam Whitaker-Snavely. And I'm Drew. And we will see you very, very soon.